Good evening, everyone. How you said, good evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for another day, Lord. Um, you're good to us all the time, Lord. Um, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. Um, you love us. And Lord, your love never fails, it never changes, Lord. Yeah. Lord. It's never measured by us and what we do and what we don't do, Lord. You are love, you're the essence of love. And thank you, Lord, for being our God. Thank you for walking with us through this life, Lord, the things that <clears throat> we sometimes will get stuck with and the things we sometimes don't understand about what you're doing in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray, Continue to move in our lives, Lord, to give us strength, give us a hope, that hope we have, that living hope we have, a, a hope reserved in heaven, Lord. Father, speak to us tonight. Lord, we need your word. We despe desperately need your word. We desperately need to hear from you daily, Lord, and as often as our ears and our hearts are open. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, you would speak to us, Lord. Pray for our nation. We see the condition of our nation, the morality of our nation. Father, we pray for revival in our nation. Pour out your spirit upon this country, Lord Jesus. I know you hear our cry, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would answer. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your great name and for your sake. Amen. <clears throat> amen. If you have a Bible, turn with us to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. And as Ezra, the writer, writes the Chronicles, he, he's moved by the Holy Spirit, you know, to give us an overview. And, and, he, and he now moves into like a point in history where <clears throat> it's an exchange of kings. You know, Saul will die. Saul would come off the scene. And God is raising up the man that he says, I will... Um, a, a man that's after my own heart. So, and it would be David. So he says, a man after my own heart, somebody that would be better than Saul because the people wanted Saul and God had David in mind. And Ezra gives us a short snapshot of the life and the end of and the demise of Saul, what would happen to Saul. And he emits some things out of this, you know, as the spirit sees fit. So he goes right into, and you get to chapter 10, it's, it's sad it's a short chapter, but it's a sad chapter. You read chapter 10 of 1 Chronicles chapter 10. It's a sad chapter, it's a short, it's 14 verses, but it's just a sad chapter, you know, because you see somebody with the potential. You ever see somebody with the potential that God could really use their life, that he could really use them, and that, and if they would have just surrendered, if they would have just said, Lord, I, I, here I am, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. If they would have just got to a place where they got rid of all their pride and they got rid of all their self-centeredness and all the stuff, their past, they went through it all. And then they said, Lord, here I am, I want to be used by God. Saul would have been one of those people that God could have really used Saul. But somehow it was one word that got in the wind, it's five-letter word, pride. He was so filled with pride until he couldn't go no further than his pride. You know, pride is the, you know, pride is the, look, the, is the seedbed of all sin. 
Pride. That's what pride does. Pride cometh before fall. So all any man that's never used by God or, or wondering how they're going to be used by God, well, suppose that that man is more than likely filled with pride. More than likely he's filled with pride. Maybe more than likely he's struggling with pride. More than likely he's at a place where his life is totally, you know, dis organized and deranged by pride and he don't even know why like you see people in ministries I want to be used by God oh this church is holding me back I ain't never you know I've never been used and this is happening here and you know if I want to find out what's my my calling they holding me back for I'm like that's just nonsense because if you call by God it's all settled in a quietness it's all settled in him speaking to your heart it's all settled in him showing you what to do. You don't have a blueprint. It's not a modular home that you prefab and say, here's the house, Lord. Now you fill it. It's the other way around. He said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm following you. Saul could not come to bring himself to that point. And that would be his demise, the word of God. He did not obey the word of God. That would be his demise. And there's so many people in the church today, their life would be so different if they just obeyed the word of God. Amen? Just the word of God. And so Ezra, the writer of Chronicles, goes right into this. He says, now the Philistines, or the Philistines, whatever way you like saying, fought against Israel. Now the next 10 verses is almost exactly like the first 10 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 31. Almost exactly word for word, with the exception of verse 10. But he says, now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Gabua. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines, notice, killed Jonathan. Now, this is David's best friend. He's one of my favorite Bible characters. If you want to get a Bible character and do a study on somebody's life, Jonathan is one of the greatest lives in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, of somebody willing to say, almost like a Christ type of Christ, like thinking of others better than himself, making himself of no reputation. Jonathan was that kind of person. And he was the king's son. And he was willing to lay aside his royalty and his inheritance for another man. He says, they killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkachua, Saul's son. Now, for some reason, Ezra doesn't mention Saul's fourth youngest son, um, Ishbosheth, or some say his name is Eshbal, Bel, in some translations. Ishbosheth, he doesn't mention his name. We know that he had four sons, though, because when you get to chapter 8, verse 33 of First Chronicles, when we looked at that a few weeks ago, I mean, back and backtracking some. It said that he had a son called El-Bel, Eshbel, E-S-H hyphen Bel. That was the same son here, Ishbosheth. So he doesn't mention this son. Ezra doesn't mention his son. If you remember Ishbosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 2, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manahim. He tried to make himself king, remember? And he did make himself king, and he reigned for two years. Ishbosheth. So when you see the king, you say the first king of Israel was Saul. 
The second king, everybody said, was David. And no, it wasn't David. It was Ishbosheth. But for some reason, the chronicle writer doesn't mention him here. And it says, the battle became fierce against Saul. The battle of life is always becomes hard for a rebellious person who compromised. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, notice what he asked his armor bearer, look at the request. Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men, speaking of the Philistines, come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And it seems like he's taking his own life, but wait, wait till we get down and you'll see what's happening. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. I wouldn't have hardly did that. I said, all right, man, that's nice. You want to do that, but I'm not doing that. And so Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together, with the exception of his son Ishbosheth didn't die. Maybe he was too young for battle. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Now, you got to remember the Philistines was always enemies of Israel until David comes on the scene. Because see, when you're a man and you're not obeying the God, the God of the Bible, and you're not obeying the Lord of heaven, what happens is you become timid, you become a coward. You know, boldness and, you know, this is the righteous, and you know, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse one, it says the righteous is bold as a lion. And so a righteous person has a certain boldness that's connected to the power of God all behind them and the heavenly host behind them. And they can stand against the things of the enemy because they stand in on the promises of God and they clothe with the whole armor of God. The shield of faith, the word, which is the sword. They are clothed with the things of God. Shut your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Saul wasn't clothed with spiritual things. And so he could not stand. All of Israel had a leader that was a coward, and that didn't do not produce, it produced cowards. God raises up David. Goliath, this big champion, kept coming to them, you know, saying, making sport of them, defying the name of the God of Israel. They were all hot. <laughs> could you imagine seeing Goliath? Goliath was huge. If you think Shaquille O'Neal is big, you ain't seen nothing. Goliath was huge. Some say he was about nine foot seven. That's pretty big, I think. Would you fight somebody nine foot seven? His sons died. They all died together. In verse seven, it says, and when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they, saw that they had fled and, and that Saul's sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, so they would strip them of their armor, anything valuable, it would be called spoil or the booty, whatever one you use, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gabua. Mount Gabua, meaning hill country, was the mountain overlooking the plain of Jezreel. 
Also, Beth, you know, Bethshane lies at the foot of Mount Gabor, about 15 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, where the Valley of Jezreel meets the Jordan River or the Jordan Valley. So, Galboa is a modern, is modern day, they would call Jebel Faku, Faku, or Fakuka, you know, and it's like it's a village that they mainly populated by Muslims. And so if you go over there right now, there is all it's, it's a Muslim town. And it says, and they stripped him. Imagine getting stripped. He's dead. Every unspiritual person is stripped of everything that God wants to give him anyway. It's Saul was stripped of his armor. Sin will always strip a person of experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ came for us to have. And sin makes one easy prey for the devil, that roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. You know, and, and he makes it easy for us to be stripped. You know, the Hebrew word for strip is pashak, or pashak. It, it, it's the same word in Numbers when it says that Moses was commanded by God to strip Aaron. To strip, he was just stripped, to strip, to take off, to make a dash or to raid. That's what the word means. Aaron got stripped of all of his priestly garments and it was given to his son, Eleazar. Remember that? Right on Mount Hor in the, in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron. And here it says, and they stripped him, the Philistines stripping Saul, and took his head. Notice, they cut off his head. And his armor. This is the same armor. Think about this. This is the same armor that Saul has on that he tried to get David to wear. When, when, the, when, when Goliath came, he, he's David said, I'm not afraid of him. So Goliath comes and he's mocking Israel in the valley and Saul gives David his, his, his armor and David said, I can't walk in another man's armor. This is the armor of man. I'm walking with the armor of God. The same armor that he had was useless because it couldn't stop him from being slain. You see that? So what good is having armor on if it can't keep you safe? Isn't that something? And David refused, if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 38 and 39, David refused to wear this armor. He refused to wear this armor. Knowing that deliverance wasn't found in armor made by man's hands, deliverance is found in God, the Lord, the Lord of glory, the Holy One of Israel. Don't try to wear nobody else's armor. Oh man, I go to that church, but I go to Calvary Chapel, man. Yeah, man. The pastors, this is, you can't wear another man's armor. You can't pretend that you're something you're not. Oh man, I'm wearing the whole armor of God. I'm with the armor of God. I go to, I'm at Bible study. It was good, y'all had Bible study. It was good to see all of y'all at Bible study. But you can't wear another man's armor. You can't say, oh man, I'm looking, this is man, look man, my father was on the, he was a pastor, or my uncle was on the mission board, or my grandmother, she was one of the, you know, the top deaconess or whatever they call it, you know, and they were all in charge, and, and then it's like, that don't protect you. You know that, right? That can't protect you. That's another, trying to wear another's person armor. Oh, you know, name dropping. Oh, I go to this church and I know pastor, doctor, bishop. and I, That don't protect you. It don't matter what church you go to. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and make your own calling and election sure.
And if you don't do that, it's like you walking and saying you have an armor, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, you fall by the wayside. You'll fall by the wayside. You can't live by somebody else's name and some other church name. You have to walk with the Lord yourself. And there's so many people say, oh, you do. Well, why they don't come to church tomorrow? Oh, they was wearing somebody's armor. And when they got stripped, they were already dead as a doorknob when they got stripped. And then it's just validated what they was wearing. They didn't have any power. Your church membership don't have power. I got a membership card. I go to that church, man. I'm a member there. Oh, I've been a member. Been a member there for 10 years. Doesn't have any power. Remember the sons of Stephen, they tried to do supernatural, spiritual stuff, and the demons came and said, oh, no, Jesus we know. You know, Paul we know, but who are you? Who are you? It's our power and our strength is in the Lord, not by power nor by might, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts, it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by our power. Put on the armor of God. They took his head, they cut his head off and his armor, they stripped his head off, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim, notice what they're doing, to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people, notice, then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple. So this is a sad trophy to have, somebody dead head of Dagon. The, this is not mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 31. They don't put this part in 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is the verse that's not mentioned in the, about his, his head being hung on the temple of Dagon. It's not mentioned. Because in their mindset, when they beat Israel, they said, we beat their gods too. That's how they thought. These are the same Philistines. Remember Samson? Samson wanted, you know, he always liked the women from other places. You know, his mom and dad, his, his father, you know, saying, you know, hey, hey, Sammy, why don't you get a girl from among your own people? He said, no, 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 that whole, no, mm-mm, no. Give me one of them girls from Timna, one of them Rashida mamas. And then as time went, he kept wanting somebody. He wanted, he wasn't supposed to eat grapes or anything from the vine. He goes to the Valley of Zora where they did sell grapes and vines and all this stuff was there. He goes closer and closer to the edge. He lived closer and closer to the edge. And then he meets this, he met this match. He met this woman who loved money. And he said, look, we'll give you some money if you um, find out where his strength come from. And Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you. And then he kept playing all these games, and eventually they caught him, remember? And they gouged his eyes out. And he says, where's your strength? He says, oh, you know, a girl can get a man and sell him any old thing, or do anything. Really, probably. Most women, they don't know the power they have. If Eve could get Adam to eat that fruit, I guarantee you, women have way more power with words than you even think they have. And she said, Tommy, you know, why you, play? you won't even tell me where your strength come from. And he gave in, remember? He gives in, and as he gives in, this is the Philistines upon you. And the Bible says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. 
And the strength that he had and the covenant that he had with God is a Nazarite. That vow was broken and it was the Philistines who gouged his eyes out. And as they gouged his eyes out, he's walking around that, you know, that grove, that olive grove, I'm sure for years. And then all the ones they forgot that the strength was in his hair, but it really wasn't in his hair. The strength was in his communion with God. And the spirit came upon him one more time. And he says, Lord, let me kill these uncircumcised, you know, fearless things for my eyes. And he never prayed through his whole life. That's the only time he prayed. He never asked anybody to do nothing for him. He did everything by himself. And he saw that young lad. He said, lead me to the pillars of this temple. And it says he pushed. And he said, they killed more Philistines in his death than in his life. These are those same Philistines. The point for saying all of this is that the enemy will always come back. The enemy will always come back. And if you don't have the proper armor, you will never win the battle. You will never win the battle. You'll be in the same position year after year. You will never win the battle. And there's some things in all of our hearts that we're going to struggle until the day we die. It could be anger. It could be self-centeredness. It could be jealousy. It could be envy. It could be a host of things. And Saul was one of those men that the Lord wanted to use, but he saw himself being more, more important than what God wanted to do. And look what it says in verse 11. And when all of Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, now these are the men, those of Jabesh Gilead, they may have been loyal to Saul, because remember he rescued them from the king of um, Nahash, the Ammonites, in First um, Samuel chapter 11 so, they, 11, so they must have been loyal to Saul for that reason. When they heard about Saul, and all the valiant men arose and took the body of Saul, not his head, because that was in the temple of Dagon, his body, and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under the terrace, um, terrace or oak tree, King James says, tree of Jabesh, and fasted, and fasted seven days. Saul died a horrible death. And the next two, and the next verse gives us the reason why Saul was killed. Look, look at the next verse. So Saul died in his unfaithfulness. King James says transgression. I teach from the New King James. He died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. Notice, because he did not what? Keep the word of the Lord. And also because he consulted in, medium, in a medium for guidance. Who was that medium? You used to look at Bewitch. Some of y'all remember Bewitch? What was her mother's name? Endor, the witch of Endor. They got it from the Bible. She was the witch of Endor. And Saul, it says he was unfaithful. He did not keep the word of the Lord. And people say, well, what do you mean he didn't keep the word of the Lord? <coughs> if I go to um, Psychic Hotline, you know, can I go to Psychic Hotline if I want to? And, you know, tell them to read my palm and, you know, no, you shouldn't. Can I play the numbers? Hey, you know, the numbers, you see the Powerball, man, it's up to $2 billion. You got to be kidding. Should Christians do those things? Absolutely not. Well, you know, my horoscope is, uh, I'm Aquarius and they're Sagittarius and, you know, 
<clears throat> we shouldn't live by zodiac signs. You got Christians that still read their zodiac signs. Some of y'all must do that. It's real quiet. <clears throat> but Saul, when he says that he consulted the mediums because he did that, you might say, what in the world did that have to do with him dying and being unfaithful? Because he violated the word of God. If you go to Leviticus, don't turn to it, I'll read it for you. Leviticus 19.31 says this. Give no regards to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by, to be defiled, defiled by them, rather. I am the Lord to God. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, it says, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. He said, why? That's how Saul died. That was part of it. He can sell, you ever see somebody consulting somebody that don't have, that's ungodly? Well, my unsaved friends told me to do this, and these people, well, that's not good counsel. Saul died because of his unfaithfulness to what? To the word of God. Remember in 1 Samuel, you don't have to turn to this, I'll read it. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told to Samuel saying, Saul went to Karma, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. <laughs> a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and has gone down to Gilgal. Then, Saul went to, and then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What, is, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So when he was telling them, I, I killed everything of the Amalekites. In the background, he was like, bang, bang, and it was oxen. Mm, mm, and Samuel was hearing all that. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. So I tried to get spiritual. We kept the good stuff for the Lord. Morning went to the, the wine and spirit store because we're going to use this wine for communion. You know, people try to add us in some type of spiritual connotation to something that's sinful. He says, no, we, the people saved the best of the sacrifice to the Lord, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not ahead of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then you did not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder, the sheep and oxen, the best things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord God of Eden Gilgal. And Samuel said, 
Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, stubbornness as iniquity of idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he rejected you from being king. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he rejected you from being king. We will never be in our rightful place when we just constantly reject the word of the Lord and come up with our own way of living. We're going to do it this way. This is what I want to do. It. I don't care. And this is what Saul said. I'm doing it. I'm doing Partial obedience is absolutely total disobedience. I'll obey 60% of what God said. Well, that's disobedience. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity of idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as be, to be, of being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed him in the commandment of the Lord. Now, how did he know that? And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Still want to worship the Lord and still in sin. Isn't that something? But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to you and to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Speaking of David, that's how he lost the kingship. That's why he ended up getting killed. You know Why? Because he didn't obey God. He didn't obey God. You will say to yourself, wouldn't you say this to yourself? If you thought about the Bible correctly and made great estimations of things written in the Bible, would you say David was worse than Saul? Would you say David was, David was worse? Would you say that David had, look, he slept with um, Uriah the Hittite wife Bathsheba? He had him killed, gave him his own letter in his own hand to carry, and he goes and gives it to Joab and says, put him in a hot place of the fire, you know, with Ammonites so they can kill him. And he gets killed, and, and David lied, and then David, people forget about what David did. David, after Uriah was killed, David marries Bathsheba, and to the people that didn't know what was going on, said, man, that's a good king. One of his men got killed, and he took the wife on. He covered, that thing looked masterly, you know, covered up. Until God sent Nathan, you know, man, the little lamb, you know, the family loved that lamb. The lamb slept with them, went in and out, you know, and, 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 and they took that lamb. And David said, oh, whoever did that man should be you the man, Dave. You the man. You know what was the difference between David and Saul? I'm going to tell you what the difference is between David and Saul. It's that one difference between David and Saul and every time I think about the difference, I say, that's the difference between every man and every woman that walks the face of this earth. Every man and woman is one difference between Saul and David. David says, have mercy on me, O God. He said, have mercy according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge, see, this is what David did. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And David is the one, he repented. And Saul wouldn't. That's the difference between every man and woman that lives in the, on the face of the earth. Everybody, look, you either a life that's going to willing to repent of sin or a life to stay in sin. And David looked worse than Saul in some ways. In some ways. But he was a man that says, create in me, Lord, a clean heart. And renew steadfast spirit within me. I acknowledge my sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that tonight? Do you know that there's a way out? There's nobody in sin that there's not a, there's a way out. The enemy says there's no way out. There is a way out of sin. There's always a way out. There's a way out of being stubborn and proudful and self-centered and there's a way out of that stuff. And you can stay in the same condition, but God will never use you in a sense where you'll be used and have that peace. It's a peace when you're in fellowship with the Lord. It's a peace that comes with that. And in verse 14 in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, here's the verse that I think everybody should know and read. They say, well, Saul killed himself. Hold up. Wait a minute. Look at this. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, meaning God, killed them. And turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. This is the bridge in Chronicles. When he says the son of Jesse, this is taking us through the chronicles of all the kings of Judah. So the rest of the book of Chronicles is about the kings of Judah from chapter 11 to chapter 29. It's all about David. It's all about David. And in 2 Chronicles, it goes all the way to the, the kings of the southern kingdom pointing to Jesus Christ would come to the line of David. It says God killed him. Isn't that in your Bible? One said, who killed Saul? God. He said, wow. King James says, and he acquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. The Young's literal translation says this. And he inquired not at Jehovah, and he putteth him to death and turneth round the kingdom to David, son of Jesse. Isn't that something? He turned the king over to David, the son of Jesse. And that's the bridge that gets us into Chronicles. And now in chapter 11, it says, Then all of Israel came to David, came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh, also in time past, even when Saul was king, 
You are the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord, your God, said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Because remember, Saul got jealous of David. The girls messed it up. Remember that song? I don't know how the beat went, but I'm sure it probably said, <laughs> there's all clapping. Saul slain gift thousands. Then they got louder. David slain ten thousand. And he got mad from that day forward. Could you imagine? <laughs> he eyed David from that point on. It says, verse 3, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. <coughs> so David reigned for seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So he first became the king over just the tribe of Judah for seven years. Then he becomes the king over all of Israel for 33 years, which seven and 33 is 40 years. So he's about 30 years old, he becomes king. He dies at about the age of 70, going on 71. So it says, therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel, notice, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. When Samuel said, the kingdom has been given to your neighbor, one who is better than you is David. David goes, you know, and he's not even in the lineup. When Samuel goes to Bethlehem, he's not even in the lineup. And he says, Jesse, surely you have another son. He says, oh, he's out there with this sheep. Little ruddy guy, little cute little guy, little freckles, little, you know, nice looking kid. Bright eyes. He comes in. And the Lord says, Samuel, that's the one. He said, because man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. That's the one right there. And he anointed David. He anointed David. David was made of a king. And, and he was just 17 years old when he first got anointed. He was running from Saul for all those years, like 13, almost 13 and a half years, running from Saul. Imagine being anointed and God got a plan for you to be this. Do you know all the stuff you go through? You know, you know you're called to do something? You go through stuff before you get to it. All kinds of crazy stuff. At least 13 years he was on the run. And you know what he was placed in what we would call the making of the man of God? You, everybody should read that book by Alan Redpath. The making of the man of God. Everybody should read that book. He was in the crucibles of life. And you know what he was getting? Training. Don't run out when you have hardship. That's training. The greatest training you get is in hardship. When you're uncomfortable. That's the greatest training you get. You tell people that work out, the more sore their muscles are, the more they're getting built. You come from working out, you keep walking like a robot. You all right, I'm not all right. He worked me to death. But man, something's getting built up. Isn't that something? You learn your lessons when God is <laughs> calling you to be something. And he, David didn't know what he was. You imagine somebody pours some Oreo on you, a horn of Oreo on you, and it goes down you, and your life becomes a wreck after that? It says in verse 4, And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land, 
But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, you shall not come here. They said to David, they, they talking to the wrong person. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruah, went up first and became chief. Now Joab, Zeruah, is David's sister. We know that from 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16. Joab is our son, so people don't realize this. Joab was David's nephew. That's his nephew. It says, then David dwelled in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David, and he built the city around it from Milo, from Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David went on and became great. You like that? You like the sound of somebody saying, you're going to be great? But not apart from the other part of this verse, and the Lord of hosts was with him. You ain't going to be great unless the Lord is with you. I can tell you that much was, you know, the key words, David's greatness was seven words. The Lord of the host was with him. You want to do something great? You can, but the Lord is going to be with you. He has to be with you. And look at this list here. So if we mess the names up, don't worry about it because y'all don't know the names neither. It says, now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had who strengthened himself with him in his kingdom, with all of Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now, you know what happens? Saul didn't have a bunch of mighty men around him. I'm blessed that this church is a lot as men. I'm so blessed. Most churches don't have men, but I'm blessed that there's men in this church. A man don't always got to say nothing when they disagree with you, neither. They can just give you a look and you be like, no, nah, I probably shouldn't do that. So he had men around him. He had men around him. And it says, and this is the number of the mighty men. Notice what they call mighty men whom David had. Jashobim, the son of Hakonite, the son of a Hakonite. You know any Hakonites? I don't know. Chief of the captains. He had lifted up his spear against 300, killed them, killed by, killed by him at one time. He had a spear and killed 300 at one time. How do you kill 300 people with one spear? I don't need, this is supernatural. This is supernatural. His name is Jashobim. You know, I wish we had some Jashobims around us. Could you imagine killing 300 people with one spear? He lifted up his spear. It didn't say spears, plural. It says he lifted up his spear against 300 killed by him at one time. Don't y'all like that? I like that. He just comes wearing a whole bunch of guys waiting for you. You're like, yeah, ain't nobody scared of these guys. I remember these guys tried to rob me one time. I was at 27th Street, right off Cecil B. Moore. It's a Chinese place. I'm sitting there. And every time, you know how you get Chinese food, they take so long sometimes. I'm only on chicken fried rice and something else, you know. And I'm looking at this mirror, and it's like two guys looking. I look, they all went back like that. I said, oh, man. Then I look back again, it's like five, and they all going back. I'm like, oh my God, I am doomed. And the last time I looked back, it was seven of them. So I asked a Chinese guy, I said, listen, sir, do you have any bottles? No, 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 only, only plastic sodas. I said, no, like the, the glass kind. 
Because, you know, I was going to crack something. You know, you, come on, we're going to do this. I ain't going to get everybody. I'm going to get one real good. But he said, no, only, only plastic bottles. I said, oh, man, I'm in trouble. So I said, all right, I'm going to try to make it to my car. No, I couldn't because my car was about right there where Deshaun is, and I'm right here. And so for me to get my car, I got to go past those seven guys on the other side. So I got to go buy them. So I'm like, oh, my Lord, here we go. So I get out the store, and they all walking towards me. And I said, they're just going to rob me, take my keys, car, jack, you know. And I looked at one of them, he looked kind of scared, and I just yelled as loud as I could, how your father doing? He said, you don't know my father. I said, yes, I do. I know your father. I know him. And they walked, gave me enough time. I got in my car. I was gone. I got out of there. Isn't that something? If I had a Joshua being with me, I wouldn't have to do all that. I would just took that one spear and just said, y'all got me? <laughs> some of them heard these stories before. Y'all, some of y'all knew and hear these stories. And says, after him was Eleazar, the son of Dudu, or Dodo. It's Dudu. That's his name. Dudu. In Israel, that's an endearment. That, that almost something like when you would say Papa, like Papa, Papa, Papa. Yeah, it's Dudu. That's his name. Dudu. Not like Dudu, but Dudu. His name is, I mean, I, let me just skip his name. The Ahohite was one of the three mighty men. They was the leading guys. He was with David at Pasdamon, which means portion of blood. Now there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a place, notice, a, rather a piece of ground full of barley. So the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of that field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory, something that Saul couldn't do. He couldn't defeat the Philistines. They, was, they killed him. Here's the man that's after God's own heart. He defeats the enemy. See the difference? And he has men with him doing it. He defeats the enemy. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David in the cave of Adullam, and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was there in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with them longing, all that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. These three men. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines. You know, we would have said, well, Dave, look, you're going to have to just drink something else. We, we, you just can't look. We, we'll make you some lemonade or something over here. You, not, you know, we wouldn't have did that. These three mighty men, these three men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Y'all have been smoking hot coming out of here. You mean it to me I put my life on the line down there and you're going to pour this out? But that's not what he's doing here. He says, and he said, far be it from me, oh my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these, uh, blood of these men who had put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by these three mighty men. These are mighty men, the men who loved David. And David loved them. David pours out this and makes it a drink offering unto the Lord. 
knowing that these men were putting their lives on the line to get the king a drink of water, to serve their king. What would we put on the line to serve Jesus Christ? What would you really put on the line to serve Jesus Christ? What would you really sacrifice? You know, Paul uses like a military term when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove us that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, He's, I, he's, I beseech you, I, I beg of you, you know, as power, Kelly, you know, Kelly, I call of you, you know, I, I, I urge you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, they sacrificed, but they were just dead animals. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Can't even brag about it. And, he says, and be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, Perfect, the word will is thylema in the Greek, perfect will of God. That we should be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That I would do anything for the Lord, anything the Lord requires of me, I'm willing, here, Lord, I'm around. What do you want me to do? What's next? Charles Spurgeon said, Dead men don't wrestle. They don't wrestle with God telling them to do stuff. The Lord may say, say you're sorry. Some people may wrestle with that for 10 weeks, 10 years. Tell your wife you're sorry. I'm not telling them I'm sorry. And, you know, I'll do other stuff. Well, I'll cut the grass, help her with the dishes. And I'll do some other stuff, but I ain't telling them I'm sorry. For 10 years. And here, these men was willing to put their lives on the line for a drink of water. David said, I thirst. It reminds you of our king who said, I thirst hanging on the cross. Look, what are you willing to do for the Lord tonight? Would you do anything that the Lord tell you to do? Or you compartmentalize what you would and wouldn't do? Because some people do that. They say, I'll serve the Lord, but I'm not doing that. They're supposed to be clapping like crazy, like, yeah, that's right, I'm there. Yeah. No. I will serve the Lord, but I'm not doing that part. And that one part that you're not willing to do is the part that he wants you to do to show him that you're willing to sacrifice. Because he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it's that one thing sometimes that God calls us to do. We say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Or you ever thought you had it all packed and then God gave you something new to do? You say, I don't want to do that. That's what the Lord does. And these men, these mighty men, these three mighty men, these guys are heroes in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit pins their names. And these other men, look, it says, Abishai, verse 20, the brother of Joab, was chief of, a, of another three. He had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became, he, he became their captain. However, he did not re attain to the first three. It says, Benaiah, his name means Jehovah built, 
was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a violent man from um, Kabzel. Kabzel means God's gathers or God's gathering. There's a city in Judah, you know, Joshua 15, 21, 2 Samuel 23, 30 is mentioned, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heralds of Moab. What did they look like? I don't know. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. That's my man there. How many of y'all would kill a lion? If we saw a lion and he came in this room right now, I could see everybody trying to run and say, run, I got run. They'll be knocking each other down. Well, get your kids, forget them. You know, he'll start running. They'll be all right. You know, everybody start running as two wild lions came in here. Wouldn't we be running? How many men would stand in the front and say, dare you to come? Well, some of the guys got a secret weapon for them, so they probably would stand in the front. I see Dante with that look he had. He said, oh, let him come in here. <laughs> he don't like the smell of smoke. <laughs> but just imagine, he goes down on a snowy day. And it's funny they put on a snowy day because a snowy day, you got less traction. So let me say, come on. You know, imagine that. <laughs> come on, you lion. I'm not scared of you. God can give us a, you know, look, Daniel was in the lion's den. And the lions looked at Daniel and said, hey, man. And Daniel was, um, he didn't say this, I'm just saying, he, you know, I would have been in there. Hey, kitty, 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 you know. Because they became like little cats, little pets. On a snowy day, in a pit. <clears throat> and I don't want to see a lion on a cloudy day, let alone a snowy day. But it says he's gone down, meaning that he pursued the lion. It didn't say that the lion chased him. He pursued the lion. That's what the grammar is telling us. The lion didn't pursue him. And Benaiah, Benaiah he's going to take um, Joab's place when Solomon become king too. Says, and he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubics tall. Now five cubics tall, that's a pretty tall guy. One cubic is 12 inches. So that means, well, one cubic is 18 inches, I'm sorry. So 18 times 5 is what? 90. And then you divide that by 12, you get 7.5. So this man was 7 foot 5. The height of that new center, the San Antonio Spurs got about that height. 7 foot 5. He killed this Egyptian, a man of great height, 5 cubics tall. In the Egyptian's hand, um, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, like, almost like Goliath. And he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. This is a tough dude. You know, somebody got a weapon on you, he just went down and give me that little spear, boy. Yeah. I like these guys. These things, Benaiah, Benaiah, some say Benaiah, Benaiah. Jehovah has built, the son of Jehoiada did, and won a name among the three mighty men. Indeed, he was more honored than the 30. You know, 30 is an interesting number because 30, if you read um, M.W. Bullinger's book, he got a book called Number in Scripture. He writes in that book that the number 30 is three times 10. It donates a higher degree the perfection of divine order, 
as marking the right moment. This is 30 was the right moment. And let me tell you what he meant by that, that Christ started his ministry at 30. David became king. Remember when you read Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Christ started his ministry. He was 30 years old. He says it was about 30. When you read Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, it says David became before Pharaoh. I mean, not, not David. Joseph became stood before Pharaoh at the age of 30 in Genesis 41. 30, um, 46. And it says David becomes king at the age of 30 in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. And you read those verses, that every all of these guys was 30 years old. Joseph was a type of Christ. He wasn't Christ, but he was a type of Christ. In character, in character only. They all was 30 years old. Ezekiel went into the ministry. He was about 30 when you read about Ezekiel. Instead of him becoming a priest at 30, he became, God called him into the prophetic ministry to be a prophet. 30 is an interesting number, you see. So he used 30 men. David had 30 men. But he did not attain to the first three. He was honored. And David appointed him over his guard. Also the mighty warriors was Ashiel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dudu of Bethlehem. Now, you can't take that name. That's the name, all right? And here's the list, verse 27 onward. It says, Shamath, which is Shammah. If you read some translations, if you read the other list of names in 2 Samuel 23, he's called Shammah. It means fame or renowned. The Hororite, the Hororite, you know, he's a Helaz, which means God is saved. The Pelonite, or also called the Peltite in 2 Samuel 23, he was probably a native of Beth Pelet. Ira, the son of Ikish, the Tokite, a Tokiite. You know, the Tokiites, if you remember, the Tokiites were. It's the hometown of Amos the prophet. If you read Amos 1 1, he was from Tokia. So he was a Tokiite. But the Tokiites were interesting people because they seemed to be hard workers. When you read Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 3, when it was building the wall, it says, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, it's interesting with the writer writes. It says, next to the Tokiites, next to them, the Tokiites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. They, they were laborers. And then it says later on in that same chapter, in verse 27, that the Tokiites, they came back around to repair another section. So see, these were hardworking guys from Tokyo. Amos was a sheep sharer, a sheep breeder. So the Tokiites, so it's Ira, the son of Ikish, the Tokiite, Abiezer, the notice, Onathathite, Onathathite, Onath, Anathoth, I mean, Onothathite, Anoth, you know, Anath, you know, this is that same city. We know who came from that city. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 21, Jeremiah 1 1. Jeremiah came from that city, Amathoth. It says, Sibachai, verse 29. English is Sibachai, and Hebrew is Sibachai which means Jehovah's intervening. He killed the Philistine giant in 2 Samuel 21, 18. The Hushithite, Eliah, the Aholite, Merarite, notice, 
the Naphtothalite, Naphtothalite, you know, you say that 20 times. He led the son of Baana, the Naphtothalite, <clears throat> Itai, or Itai, same name in a different form, the son of Ribai, not Ribai stake, but Ribai, of Gibeah, the sons of Benjamin, Benaiah, the, the um, Parathonite, Hurriai, the brooks of Gaash, Abiel, the Arba, the Arbathite, um, Asmaviath, you try to say all these things, Baharamath, uh, Baharamite, Eli Abba, I like that name, Eli Abba, She Alba, he's, he was the She Albonite, She Albonite, you know, put your elbows in the shade, you know, She Albonite, the sons of Hesham, Hashem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shega, the Hororite, Ahiam, the son of Sekar, the Hororite, Eliphel, the son of Ur, Hefer, the Macarathite, Ahijah, the Pelonite, Hez, um, Hezrel, the Carmelite, ne, ne, um, ne, um, Nerai, Nerai, which means youthful, the son of Ezbi, Joel, the brother of Nathan, um, Mibhar, the son of um, Hagrai, Zelek, the Ammonite, um, Naharzari, the Barothite, he's the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruah, Ira, Istrite, the Istrite, um, Jareb, the Istrite, they all from the same tribe. Notice Uriah, look who's on this list, Uriah the Hittite, that's what I wanted to get to. Now listen to this and listen to this good. Uriah the Hittite was David's, one of David's mighty men. And you see how David treated him? David, when the kings got out the battle, where was David? On the roof. And said, who is that right there? And the servant said, oh, that's... Right then God was saying, David, don't touch her. That's Uriah the Hittite wife. And David said, bring her anyway. And it changed the course of David's life. David was about 52 when that happened. It changed the course of his life. He ended up calling himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. He never calls himself the great king of Israel towards the end of his life. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. And this is Uriah the Hittite. He was part of the mighty men of David. Zabad, the son of Ahaliah. Adena, Adena, the son of Shiza, the Reubenite, the chief of the Reubenites, and 30 with them. Hanan, the son of Maaka, and Joshaphat, the Mithnite. Uzziah, the um, Ashtarathite, and Jael, the son of Hothan, the Ororite. Um, Jadael, his name means known by God, the son of Shimrai, J Johad, the brother of um, 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 Tizai, he's a Tizite, um, Eliel, the Meavite, Jerobiah, Joshua, uh, Joshua, the sons of Elnaim, um, Ithamah, the, the Moabite, Eliel, Obed, Jeaziel, the Mosabeite. Now you try to say all that stuff if you think I'm, you know, phew. But look, these are the mighty men. They listed in the scriptures. These were the men that David had around him. We need men to be mighty men. 
men created in God's image, to be mighty men, to be warriors on the battlefield called this dusty world. Not men that cop out when stuff go wrong. Mighty men. We need mighty men. That women could be saying, oh man, I, I know I could hide. I know that brother got my back. I know. And they, we could stand in the gap. You know, the Bible says in Ezekiel, you know, 22, 30, I sought a man, one man. I sought one man that was standing in the gap, and I didn't find anybody. It's one man that was standing in the gap. The mightiest of men were the men that were mightiest in prayer. The mightiest of men were those who were mightiest in prayer. And what followed close by that, they were men of the book. They knew the word of the living God. Those are mighty men. Mighty men are praying men and men that know the word of God. A man that don't know the word of God, he'll end up like Saul. He'll always end up like Saul. His life would be but pitiable. Yet he could have been useful, but never becoming all that God had for him. And this for every man in here tonight, all of us. Know the word of God. Because there's power in the word. He says, how can a young man cleanse us away? Except by taking heed to the word of God, the word that I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The entirety of his word is settled in heaven, the Bible says. Is established, Psalm 119, verse 89, is established in heaven. I don't quote scripture to be smart and try to act like I know these verses. I need these verses. I need to know the Bible. I need to know the Word of God. I need to wake up every morning and read. I still wake up every morning and have devotion, sometimes twice. Because I'm that dense, that messed up. I need the Word of God. I need to know what God is saying daily. I don't know how anybody can go for a week without reading the Bible. I don't know how they do that. Or days without even hearing from God. Or they'll read one verse, close the Bible, and run out the door. I don't know how you do that. You have to spend time with the Word of God. And some days you don't even feel like reading. You might wake up and say, oh man, I got to read it. And when you start saying that, the next day you say, I got to read. And they say, well, I'll get something. The third by the fourth day, oh, man, I, I got to go. The Lord knows my heart. You do know his heart. Our hearts, that's why he died on the cross. The deceitful and above all desperately wicked. That's why he went to the cross. But could you imagine if Saul was a man of the book? He would, have been in that, oh, he would have been the one over those 30 mighty men. He had no 30 mighty men with him. He didn't have 30 mighty men. It went from Saul to David. The Lord killed Saul. Because Samuel said, no, 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 the kingdom has been torn from you. This is the Old Testament. This is narratives. But Paul said, this is for examples for us, though. Some churches never even teach the Old Testament no more. Y'all understand that? You learn more about life in the Old Testament about what we made of. This clay right here is just clay. This is, this is going back to the dust. This, this, is, this is going back to the dust. But when you start realizing who God is and how he can use your life for his glory, how he wants to use your life for his glory, it starts blowing your mind and say, Lord, I can't believe you would let me sweep the floor, Lord. Lord, I can't believe you would let me cook a, 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 a pan of rice, Lord. Sometimes when I'm cooking, I'm crying. I like cooking. I'm crying and say, Lord, 
You mean to tell me you let me cook a pan of rice for this church? That you, is blood bought, you pay for it with your blood? And you mean to tell me you let me cook a pan of rice or a can of mixed vegetables? Or Lord, you mean to tell me you let me do that? I can't believe you would let me do that. And you know what some people think? Everything is above them. But everything else is beneath them. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, you know, I wouldn't do that. I would, oh, no. You laying on your sick bed. Every time I think about what my mother said when she was dying. I was there. Me and Charlotte was in the hospital the night my mother died. We was there. I remember what my mother said. She said, when I get back out of here, I'm going to start working with children again because she loved kids. She ain't never make it home. I'm not going to be that person. I'm telling you now, I am not going to be the person to have any regrets. I'm not going to be that person lying on my bed if I ever have to lie on a bed. I hope I don't. I just hope I just go. But if I was, I'm not going to have those regrets. Oh, I wish I would have served the Lord. I wish I would have listened to him when he said do this and do that. I'm not going to have those regrets. If you want to have those regrets, that's on you totally. But tonight, you know you don't have to have those regrets. Serve the Lord while you can. No man worketh wise night. You do not know what tomorrow hold. They're trying to pass legislation that Christians can't adopt, no foster care, they can't adopt kids because of our gender beliefs that God made a male and a female. This is how crazy the world's becoming. Who in their right mind sit around and think about that kind of stuff? It is evil beyond evil, so you better serve the Lord now. You may never get another chance to do it again. Stop thinking about yourselves and think about God. Think about how good God has been to you. Has God been good to you tonight? Give the Lord a praise if God has been good to you tonight. Because we don't have all this much time to do this. We don't have all this time to do this. We got a minute to do this. And we don't have to mess it up. I love Chronicles. Let's stand up as we pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to make the mistakes that they made because they're written for us to never do the same things, Lord. And Father, thank you, Lord, for this list of mighty men that you put their names in Scripture. Uriah was there, Dina, Lord, these guys, Hanan, and just a whole list of guys. Just how you use their lives for your glory, Lord, I pray, Lord. Use us the same way. As Benaiah, Benaiah, Lord, use our lives like that, Lord. Use us, Lord, that you could get glory out of our lives, Lord. Lord, that you would see us, Lord, worthy of the calling. So, Father, I pray you get glory out of our lives, Lord. Set us apart. Bring us back to the heart of worship, Lord, to a place where you could see our hearts in a way where they've been towards you, Lord, that you would be pleased with us, Lord, and that we would find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord is a great thing. Also, Lord, be with us, Lord. Keep us, strengthen us, renew us. Pray for each person here, Lord. Use their life for your glory. From the youngest to the eldest, Lord, use their life for your glory.
that they could recognize, Lord, that I, you, you want to use our whole lives, Lord, not part of it. And so, Lord, keep us in the days we're living, Lord. Let us not be in the bubble, Lord, that we think and we become oblivious to the things around us, Lord. Let us go and preach the gospel of Christ. And never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, known as the power of God unto salvation, Lord. Help us in the days we live in, Lord. Aid us, Lord. And do us with power from on high, Lord. Fill us afresh, Lord Jesus. Lord, you're so wonderful and we love you. We honor you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. We mean the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's